My name is Ken, and I'm really glad that you're here. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church, and uh, we're starting a new series. It's going to be for the next three weeks, and so uh, we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. The title of the series is Fruitology, which is the study of fruit. So as you came in, you probably noticed that we had a smoothie bar, and that's sort of our way of giving you a hint about what we're talking about for the next three weeks. So for the next three weeks, we're actually going to be looking at one particular passage, and it's in Galatians chapter 5, so I'm going to give you some time to turn to that, uh, because that that will be the passage that we're looking at. Um, Paul's writing to this church, and he's sharing the fruit of the Spirit, and there's nine different fruits. We're only going to be talking about three uh, in the next three weeks, taking one each week. And and these fruits, these virtues, help develop uh, not only uh, in our lives, but they they help us strengthen our relationships with other people. Because a Christian life is lived outside. It's not just for our benefit. It's it's for the benefit of those that are around us. And we know that relationships can be messy. Uh, I'm not just talking about a husband and wife relationship. Friendships can be messy. And there's a lot of things that are stacked against us going into, into relationships, like bad habits, which is why Paul is writing to this group of people. Uh, I know we're starting in chapter 5, which I hate starting at in a book, almost at the very end of the book, but just to give you uh, what's going on is, is that this, this group of people had fallen into some bad habits that were influencing and negatively impacting their relationship with other people and their relationship with God, as bad habits do. Now, some habits, bad habits, are very destructive. Um, abusive uh, relationships, things like that, very, very, very destructive. But there are other habits that are just annoying. Has anybody ever pointed out a habit that you really didn't know that you did until they pointed it out? Anybody? Okay. I I have a couple of them, and I feel like this is going to be like my therapy session. But um, I found out just recently that when I walk around the church and I'm thinking and I have a pen in my hand, I click. Any any other clickers? Okay. I, I, I don't think mine's annoying because I do it on, I have a beat. So it's not like a random thing. It's actually I have a beat to it, and I don't know if it just helps me think or what, but um, I I do that. I tend to fidget, which is why I I keep the podium closer to me so that I don't sway and make you all seasick. Uh, I I tend to do that. Um, Something else that really drives my wife crazy is I'll begin a sentence, but I won't, and then I'll just move on. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I don't finish. In my head, I finished. I put a period there, then I move on. And she's like, okay, what are you, did you just switch mid-sentence? Uh, so I do those type of things. Um, I've been known to talk loud when I get really excited. Um, luckily, I don't, I'm not a close talker, which that would be really bad. To be a loud talker and a close talker, that, that would really negatively impact relationships. And so, but these things are, are annoying, hopefully not so much that you don't want to be my friend, but I know that they can negatively impact our relationship. And so Paul's writing to this group of people because they had fallen into some bad religious habits that were affecting not only their relationship with God, with other people. In, in Galatians chapter 3, he tells them uh, really what, what they went back to doing because maybe they weren't even, didn't even realize the bad habit they had slipped back into. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 3, he says this, How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit Why are you now trying to become perfect through your own human efforts? He says, you understand that you started this through faith, knowing that it wasn't anything that you were doing, but then all of a sudden you switched now to jumping through religious hoops. 
And now you're encouraging other people to keep the law and be circumcised and, and do all these different things so that they can be made right with God. And he takes chapter 3 to say, that's, that's not how you're made right with God. That's not going to strengthen your relationships with other people. And so then he begins in chapter 5 with the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe he does that to let them know that these are not things that you can produce. These are things that are produced in you. So again, if you have your Bibles, we're in Galatians chapter 5. Now that he's told them, this is the problem that you have. This is what I see that's going on in your lives. And it's negatively impacting your relationships with other people. But more importantly, it's, it's negatively impacting your relationship with God. Because this is not the way to be made right with God. This is not the way to please God. It's through your own human efforts. And so he goes, let me share with you the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 22, he says this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He says it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed these passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So he begins by sharing that these are some fruits that the Spirit produces in our lives. And I, and I believe the Bible is very specific in the words that it uses. Through the, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul pens the word fruit, not works, not habits. Because we understand what works are. Works imply that there's some effort, there's some merit, there, there's some things that you're going to have to do that you may have to dig down deep and, and, and try to produce these. And what Paul's trying to say is that that's sort of what you've fallen back into the trap of doing. I want you to know that this living out, these fruits, these virtues, there's something that are not produced by human effort. They are produced by divine enablement. So it's not about... Uh, Outward, uh, it's about inward character, not outward conformity. It's about transformation in our lives. It's not about checking lists. Paul understood that because before, right before that verse, he gives us some things not to do, things that the, that, that the flesh wants to do. So he's contrasting the spirit and the flesh, the, the old man, the old nature, and, and the spirit and, and the new nature. And he knows that if you give us a checklist, what are we, we going to do? Check, check check, and not even have to think about it. And so he's saying, I, I, I'm not wanting you to check more boxes. I'm not wanting you to be more religious. I'm wanting you to understand that these things are produced not by your own effort, but by the Holy Spirit. The Bible gives dozens and dozens of illust agricultural illustrations and uh, object lessons. Because I think as we look in nature, we understand these principles, and then we can apply them to our lives. Paul will go on in the next chapter, chapter 6, to say, hey, you're going to reap what you sow. Now, you don't have to be religious to understand that principle, right? This is an apple. What tree did this come from? An apple tree. Why? Because it's an apple tree. An apple seed was planted in the ground, a tree grew, and what became mature enough to produce fruit, it produced its kind, what was in it. And so if you want to know what kind of tree it is, if it's a tree that gives fruit, all you have to do is look at the fruit. Because an apple tree will never produce an orange. Not unless scientists have done some funky things to that tree, right? It's always going to produce what it is. Which is a great analogy to you will always produce what's inside of you. 
You can say that you're a loving and you're a caring and you're, you're a generous person, but show me your fruit. Because if this is not what's modeled in your life, then you can say all you want that you're loving and caring and generous, but if that's not how you actually live your life, it doesn't matter what you say. It's sort of fake fruit. And that's what we do when we, we try to manufacture and manipulate. Growing up, my wife, my, my, wife, my mom, huh, that's a Freudian slip, huh? Uh, my mom had a basket of fruit that sometimes was on our counter, sometimes it was on the table. And, it, I mean, it was an apple, orange, some pears, uh, a pineapple, and some grapes. And it, they, they just looked fantastic. But they were plastic. And people would come over, and it was, it was hilarious to watch. And they come over, and they go to grab it, and you're like, oh, that's, that's not real. But it looked real. I mean, they had the color right, they had the shape right, the size right. Everything looked exactly like a real fruit. But it was, it was manufactured. It wasn't real. And that's what Paul's trying to get at. He goes, the things that you're trying to do, that you're trying to manipulate, you're trying to work through, it's fake fruit. It, it's not real fruit. That's only done through the Holy Spirit. Paul gives us a great illustration of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The idea that we'll understand about someone turning from sin and begin following Jesus. He says, I planted the seed in your heart and Apollos watered it, but it was God that made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. So he says, yes, you have to understand for something to grow, it has to be planted, it has to be watered, it has to be nurtured. But ultimately, if something's going to grow, it's the miracle of God that produces it in a person's life. And so we understand, yeah, we have responsibilities to share our faith and, and to show the love of Christ to people, but only God transforms a heart. Only God changes a person. And so Paul begins in Galatians chapter 5 with the fruit of love which I think is very important because we understand that the Bible talks a lot about love. I think it's a concept that we're all familiar with, and we think we understand. We've seen movies. We've heard songs. We've read books. You know, we've talked to people. Everyone understands the idea of love. But I think the love that we understand is far lower than the love that God describes in the Bible. I, we use that word really flippantly. I say I love my family, but I also love my motorcycle. Is that the same type of love? right? I, I love my wife, but I love chocolate ice cream. Ho hopefully, that's not the same level type of love. And so Paul in the Bible uses actually different words to describe love. There's a romantic love that the Bible talks about. There's a friendly love that the Bible talks about. But Paul uses a specific word in Galatians chapter 5 that's not a romantic love. It's not a friendly love. It's a God love. And that's the word agape. Agape love is selfish, selfless love. It's, it's sacrificial. It's unconditional love. And so I want, to dig, I want us to dig a little bit deeper into this idea of God's love. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 to sort of unpack God's love for us. And I'm going to ask you to do some self-evaluation and give yourself sort of a grade on the type of love that God has and is that a part of your life? So Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at, Paul's here speaking, and he's going to give us the dimensions of God's love. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3, starting in verse number 16. He says, I pray that from the glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. 
when Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. For your roots will, be, will grow down into God's love and keep you strong, that you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, um, though it is too great for us to understand fully, then you'll be complete and you'll have all the fullness and the power that comes from God. So Paul, Paul shares four dimensions of God's love that I want us to unpack. The first is this. God's love is wide. God's love is wide. And so my question is, how wide is your love? Now, before you take, go ahead and take out your communication cards, turn it over, and I want you to write down the four, the four dimensions of love because I want, to give you, I want you to give yourself a grade. And you can cover it up so that no one sees the number that you give. But before you put down a number, let me describe what wide love looks like. See, we would say that we have a wide love. I mean, I love my family. I love my friends. There's people that are in my life. I love them. And so my, my, wife, my, life is, my, my love is wide. And I would give myself a high grade. But if I did that, I would, be, I would be measuring myself against the wrong measurement. Because Jesus said even people who don't believe in God will love people who love them back. That's not the type of love that God's called us to. A wide love loves people that don't even like you. A wide love is, is loving that person at work that annoys you that really is out to sabotage you, that wants your job and is trying to make you look bad. A wide love uh, is what happens when you're on 93 at 5 o'clock. How wide your love then, right? Or, or, or when the, the buffalo um, the, 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 uh, or the, the, the Giants come to Patriot Stadium and you're sitting there and there's a Giants fan sitting right next to you, Right? How wide is your love towards somebody that doesn't have your political uh, position, doesn't, doesn't have your uh, morals, doesn't look like you? Then how wide is your love? Because that's the lo- kind of love that God is expressing to us. God expresses his love. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us while we were Captain Dan on Forrest Gump. If you've seen the movie, that part where Captain Dan's on the ship and the storm's coming and he's cursing at God and he's like, bring it on. The Bible says that God loved us when we were that way. That's the wide love that God's talking about. So you can see that's not the kind of love that we produce. We produce the kind of love that loves people that love us back. Wide love loves people that doesn't love us back. That maybe has a, a, a shorter or a narrower type of love. So I want you to give yourself a grade. Give yourself a grade on wide love. God says, anyone who calls on his name, he will forgive and save. That verse doesn't say that, okay, if you're a good person or you consider yourself a good person or you're sort of a religious person or you go to church quite a bit, uh, you help little old ladies across the street, it doesn't say any of those things. You could be the worst person that you could imagine, and God says, I still love that person. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses that even an unbeliever would know. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. So God's love is wide. 
In Sunday school, we used to sing that song, Deep and Wide. If you grew up in Sunday school, sing that song, Deep and Wide. Deep, yeah, okay, I'm not gonna, that's bad. But that, that's an accurate reflection of the type of love that God's talking about here. And this is that, that fountain that's flowing within us is the Holy Spirit. God's love is wide. How wide is your love? The second dimension of God's love is that it's long. It's a long love. This type of love is not a sprint. It's a marathon. A long love doesn't grow impatient. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, this is a very popular um, passage of Scripture at weddings. It's been called the, the chapter of love. And it describes how love behaves. But I want you to listen with a different filter today. And that's the filter of a long love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse number 4. It says, love is patient and kind. Now, in some translations, that word patience actually is long-suffering, which is exactly what the word patience means. It's long-suffering, willing to suffer long. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. Why? Because it's long. It never loses faith. It never loses hope. It always endures real love, agape love. Why? Because it's a long love in every circumstance. This is the type of love that God's talking about. God's love is long. He's patient. He's kind. This type of love doesn't get angry quickly. This is the, this is the type of love that's willing to bite its tongue, willing to hold back, willing to reserve judgment until they get all the facts. So many times our love is not long. And when the other person doesn't perform and, and they, don't, they don't do the things that we want them to do, we just we cut them off and, and we cut, cut ties and we run, not knowing that, you know what, this didn't grow on an immature tree. It takes a long time for a tree to mature and be able to produce fruit. And it's the same in people's lives. And it might be that the person's in a maturing stage of their life. And yet you're expecting them to be mature and produce fruit, and, and it's just not that way. Paul would go on to say in the next chapter of Galatians that um, don't grow weary in doing well. Don't give up, because in the right time of season, you'll harvest, and you'll see the harvest. And again, that's a principle you'd understand. You wouldn't go out when you just planted the next day and go, okay, where's the crop? Where's the corn? I planted the seed yesterday. You wouldn't do that because you would know that there's, there, it takes time. And it's the same in relationships. It's the same with love. A long love is, is willing to let your life be complicated by the needs of others and the baggage that they bring. See, a short love isn't. It's like, oh, you got a lot of baggage. I'm done with you. But a long love is patient. It's kind. And again, it's not with the person that is long-loving or long-suffering towards you. It's against a person who has a short temper, a person who's willing to walk away. So how long is your love? Next to the word long, I want you to give yourself a number. What we're going to do in life groups this week is we're going to look at the different dimensions of love, and we're going to help you give one, well, so say you put down a three. If you put down a 10, please come see me, okay? Because a 10 is like Jesus, okay? So you're like Jesus in long love. And 
But so say you put down a three. This is an area where you really struggle in your life. Well, life groups are going to, we're going to try to get an action plan of how do you go from a three to a four? You may not be able to go from a three to a six, but how do you go from a three to a four? What's something that you can do? What are some scriptures that you can memorize? How can you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life so you can go from a three to the four? In 2 Peter chapter 3, God says that, or he's writing, and, 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 and Peter says, God is patient with you because he doesn't want anyone to be disconnected or separated from him. I'm glad that God's patient with me. I'm glad that God's love towards me is long. I already told you I have a lot of annoying bad habits. You can only imagine my bad habits that I have with God. And he doesn't say, you did that again? Didn't you just do that yesterday and ask for forgiveness and you're doing it again today? See, a short love would be done with me. God would have been done with me a long time if he wasn't long loving towards me. The third dimension is God has a high love. God has a high love. Most people, when they think of love, and you think we're talking about love, you think of a romantic love or an emotional love. That's what most people think about. Most movies, most songs, most poetry, um, most of the things that you talk about have to do with emotions and romantic love. That's what, you, that's what you see in Hollywood. But that's not the type of love that God's talking about here. A high love loves even when emotions aren't there. Jesus in the garden he said, God, if there's any other way to rescue mankind from their sin, can we, can we talk about it? He didn't want to die on the cross. But he said, nevertheless, your will be done. So even though the emotion wasn't there, he still was obedient. Love is like a sausage. Stick with me. I don't know if you love sausage. Um, there's, to me, there's nothing better, maybe, maybe steak, but besides steak, there's nothing better to put on a grill and to have the smell and the aroma hit your nose. I, just, I mean, whether you like the sweet and sour or, or, the, or the, sweet, uh, the sweet sausages or the hot sausages or, you know, whatever. I'm just saying that there's something about a sausage. And you look at it and it, as it's cooking on the grill, and then you pick it up. And as you bite into it and the juices explode into your mouth, I mean, who doesn't love that? And we look at love, and we look at the end product of love, like this sausage, and it's like it's filling, it, it, it tastes good, it smells good, it looks good. That's what we want, and that's what Hollywood portrays. But no one wants to go to the sausage factory. No one really wants to know what's in a sausage. They don't want to see the process. Because if you saw the process of sausage, you would never eat a sausage again, Right? And that's what we do. We want the end product. We want the romantic. We want the feeling, the fuzzy, warm feelings. We, we want all that good stuff. But we don't want the process. And no one's ever told us about the process. So we get into relationships, whether it's a marriage or a friendship, and it gets difficult. And we're like, that's not what I thought this relationship was going to be. I thought it was the end product. And so they walk away thinking that another person in another relationship is going to give them the end product. And it doesn't happen that way. There's always a process of love. But we walk away because our love is not a high love. Our love is a very low love because our love is based on how we feel towards that person today and whether they meet our needs right now. We sort of have this if-then type of love. If you do this for me, then I love you. 
But if you won't or you can't, then I'm going to go somewhere else where I can find the end product. That's a low love. So next to a high love, give yourself a grade. Are you willing to sacrifice, be selfless, love unconditionally? Not, not again, to your friends and your family and the people that love you that way, but the, for, for the person that would not sacrifice, the person that maybe does put conditions on your relationship with them, a person who's very selfish, are you able to love them with this high love? And then the last dimension is a deep one, a deep love. When, I, when we mention deep, it, it means the cost of love. Every act of love has a price tag. For God so loved the world, that's why. He includes everyone in his love that he was willing to send his son to die on the cross. That's the price tag. That's how much God was willing to connect with you, that he was willing to send his son and die to pay for our sins. That was the price tag for us to have a right relationship with God. There is a price tag in every relationship. And we, we look at our relationships and we, we weigh out the price tag, right? And if, it's, if it meets my needs, low love, if it meets my needs and, and it doesn't cost me a whole lot of time, doesn't cost me a whole lot of effort, a whole lot of energy, then I can, we can be friends. We can stay married. But if you need more of my time, if I, if I get to give up my resources to, to help you, if you're expecting me to be there all the time and give and give and give and I'm not getting anything in return, then I just I don't know if we can be friends. I, I don't know if we can stay married because there's a price tag. And I hate when price tags are hid. That's just one of my pet peeves. I go on websites. I, I, I like motorcycles. I like looking at motorcycles. And the one thing I hate is like you go onto a website and it'll tell you everything about the motorcycle, what year it is, what model it is, uh, how many miles, all the bells and whistles, and you keep scrolling, keep scrolling, and then you find that call dealer for price tag. I hate when they do that because I want to know how much it is. They don't want you to know how much it is. Why? Because it doesn't matter how many bells, how many whistles, how many low miles, all the things that they, they say this thing's wonderful until you see the price tag. And, and I, I can't, I'm not going to pay that. It's not, for me, it's not worth that. And we do that in our relationships. All the things that we see, the process of making this relationship work, we say, you know, I don't know because I don't know if I'm getting what I need out of this relationship, whether it's willing, I'm willing to pay that price. And God was willing to pay that price. A deep love is willing to make regular and costly sacrifice for the sake of the relationship. It's willing to have less free time, less sleep, and a busier schedule. So next to deep, write down your number. Do you have a deep love? Are you willing to pay the price to have healthy relationships with people that will not pay you back, will not reciprocate in, in love or, or, or kind, How's your love towards them? Now, as we look through the deep and the wide and the long and the high part of God's love, you can see now where Paul's getting at. You can't produce that. This is not a human type of love. This is a divine love that we can't reproduce. We can try to manufacture it, but it will be fake fruit. And when things get difficult, we will walk away from, from marriages and relationships. 
But when God produces this type of love in us, we're able to love through the process and through the difficulty. But we do have a part to play in this. The Holy Spirit is the one that produces the fruit in us, but we have to do some work in preparing our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can produce fruit. And he even says that in Galatians chapter 5. He says we've nailed those things to the cross, our old desires, and we've died to them. So let me give you three keys to cultivating a heart that the Holy Spirit can actually produce this fruit through. This is actually your responsibility as a person who's following Jesus to, to prepare yourself so that the Holy Spirit can work with you in producing this fruit. And the first one is this. Here's the first key. That is dying to self and living in the Spirit. Paul told him the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And he says if you live this way, if the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in you, you don't have to worry about the law. Because fulfilling the law is loving God and loving others. And all those other things actually flow out of loving God and loving others. You don't have to worry about jumping through the hoops. You will naturally do that. I don't do dishes and do laundry and do housework so that my wife will love me. I do those things because I love her. Does that make sense? So I don't do all this and I don't let the Holy Spirit work in my life because I'm trying to earn God's love. I do it as a result of him loving me and working in my life. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 that this is how he has died to himself. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says this. It says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Paul understood, I'm not going to live this Christian life if I don't die to self daily. Because I can't produce this kind of love and gentleness and peace and self-control. I can't produce any of those things apart from God working in my life. So I have to die to self because Paul says the fruit of the Spirit and the flesh, they're at odds. They, they're, they're the opposite. So if God's love is high and it's wide and it's long and it's deep, our type of love is not. It's the exact opposite. God's love gives, our love takes. God's love is unconditional. Our love is conditional. And so you can love, but it's going to be a very low love, and it's not God's love. And so Paul says what we have to do is we have to die to self. And one of the ways that we die to self is by staying connected to God. Jesus is talking in John, the Gospel of John chapter 15. And again, he's going to use an agricultural analogy to help us understand that it's in this connection with God that we produce fruit. John chapter 15, he says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes branches that do uh, bear fruit so they will produce more fruit. He says, you've already been pruned by the purification or being purified by the message that I've given you, which is the gospel, the word of God. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot produce uh, and you, will, you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. He says, yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those that remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's saying to abide and stay connected to God, you have to, you have to stay connected. And we understand that. You cut a branch off a tree, it's going to die. It, does, it doesn't grow unless maybe it's replanted. But you cut it off and leave it there, it dies. We understand that. And he's saying, if you want to produce this type of fruit, you can't do it on your own. You've got to stay connected to me. And to stay connected to me, you've got to be willing to die to self. 
The second key to cultivating a heart that the Holy Spirit can work through is that we got to walk towards the leading of the Holy Spirit. We can't resist his leading and direction in our lives. In Ezekiel, God is talking here, and this is what he tells the children of Israel. He says, I will give you a new heart. Now, notice who's doing this. This isn't us going, you know what, I'm just going to be a better person. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to try harder. No, God says, I have to give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit, a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony heart, your stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender and responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to do them, to do my regulations. So he says, God says, I've got to do something in your heart because you naturally can't follow my word. You can't, you can't produce this type of love unless I do something in you first. And once I've done that in you, then you can be receptive and then you can grow. So how do you know if you're following the Holy Spirit? How do I know? How do I know that I'm not just, it's fake fruit? Well, what is your fruit like? Test the fruit. Look at your fruit. Is it fake? Is your love high? Is it deep? Is it wide? Is it long-suffering? Is it unconditional? Is it sacrificial? If, if it is, then you know that it's real fruit and that you're following this, the fruit of the Spirit because that's what He's producing in your life. But if your love is conditional, and if it is selfish, then you're not. That's how you know if you're following the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you stay connected? How do you follow the Holy Spirit? Well, just like any relationship, you've got to be in communication with that person. And he says, I'm going to put my word in you. So obviously there's staying connected to God's word and then following what the Holy Spirit teaches you. So you can know everything about God, but if it's not applied to your life, then what good does it do? So it's dying to self. It's living in the Spirit. It's following after the Spirit. And then the third key is pruning bad habits. Getting rid of things in your life that don't help you produce or the Holy Spirit produce this type of fruit. Now, we read in John chapter 15 that God actually does some pruning in your life. Even, even branches that produce fruit, God will prune things off it so that it will be even more productive. And for some of us, we're going through a pruning process. And then we're not under God's judgment. It's not because we've done anything bad. He's actually wanting more out of our lives. He's wanting us to love deeper and greater and further. So it's not something that we've done that he's judging us for. God prunes us so that we will be more productive so that people who don't know God will see the love of God in us and they'll want that type of love. Everyone else knows the, the, the low type of love. Few people have seen actually God's love lived out in someone's life. That's the type of love that's attractive. The Bible says, Jesus says, you'll, they'll know that you're my disciple because of the love that you have for one another and for other people. That's how they'll know. But if you love like everybody else, then you're no different than anybody else. So God prunes, but the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're also supposed to prune. There's things that we could be doing to get rid of things that are in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, he says, let us strip off cut off. Let's, let's get rid of every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So he says, there are things in your life that are sinful that, that shouldn't be a part of your life. That's a no-brainer. There's things in your life that the Bible says that's sin. You shouldn't have that a part of your life. But he also said there are things in your life that he doesn't call sin, but he says they're not helpful. 
they actually drain spiritual nutrients from your life. They zap your energy. They divide your focus. He says you should get rid of those things so that you can be more productive, that you can run well. He uses the analogy of running. And so I think part of our responsibility is to identify those things in our life that may not be sinful. Definitely if they're sinful, you get rid of them. But things that don't help the Holy Spirit to produce this type of love and the fruit in our lives, and we get rid of that. That's what it looks like to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you, how do you love? If you love the way God loved, let me ask you this, how different would your relationships be? That's the test. Let me ask you to bow your heads with me. This is the part of the talk where I really want you to, uh, to evaluate yourself and talk to God. God, what is it about today's teaching that I need to apply to my life? Maybe for you, you you've been examining the fruit that's a part of your life and it is fake. It's plastic. It's not real. It's not lasting. And it's because you're really not connected to God. You don't have a personal relationship with him where you've never experienced his love and forgiveness. And maybe for you, what you need to do today is to turn from your sin, call out to God to forgive you, and experience that love personally in your life. It's not jumping through hoops. It's not like what the Galatians were doing, trying to be more religious. It's simply asking God to be a part of your life. And maybe that's your first step. Maybe you've done that, but still, you don't see the type of fruit that we've been talking about. It could be that you just haven't grown in your faith, and you're a very young plant, spiritually speaking. And you need to get into God's Word. You need to get into a life group. You need to begin praying daily to God so that He can grow you, so that you become mature in producing this type of fruit. Or maybe for you, there are things in your life that are actually fighting the Holy Spirit, working in your life to produce that. It may not be sin, but it might be something that's just not beneficial to your spiritual health. I don't know where you're at, but my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you so that you could work with the Holy Spirit in removing that. That's our responsibility. God, I'm thankful for Paul's instructions. And just the idea of, of using the idea of fruit to help us understand it's not something that we can produce. God, what we produce looks like, but it doesn't taste like, and it's not real. It's not long-lasting. And so, God, I, I pray that as we evaluate the fruit that we see in our life, that if it's not the type of fruit that we talked about, the kind of love that's, that's deep and wide and long and high, then, God, we examine, why is that? Do I have bad habits in my life that prevent the Holy Spirit from producing spiritual maturity in my life? Am I not connected to God at all? Am I not connected to you? What is it, God, that's keeping me from not producing the type of fruit that you desire in my life? And God, give me guidance on how to remove that, change that, whatever it is that I need to do to cultivate a heart that you can actually use to have an impact not only in my relationship with you, God, but our relationship with other people. God, I pray that you begin working in our lives, producing that type of fruit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.